You're listening to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Amplience, an API first headless CMS and DAM in one, and Clavio, an email and SMS marketing automation platform. Today, you're going to be thoroughly disappointed by my abject performance and my equally apathetic co host, Paul Rogers. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks. How are you doing? Do you like how I've set you up today? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, all good. It's Friday. It's happy day. And we've got a really interesting episode today. So we are doing a kind of uh, a dual episode with a retailer and a technology company are working together around the topic of ensuring e-commerce shipping is competitive and delivering a positive customer experience. So first, um, hello to regular listeners and a warm welcome if you join us for the first time. Have you really got nothing better to do? On <laughs> uh, Do subscribe to get a new episode alert and please give us a like on YouTube, Shopify or Apple to make us feel very happy about ourselves. Right. What we're going to cover today um, very quickly is key trends in e-commerce shipping, um, talking about Quiver today. They're focused on customer centricity, what this means for retailers and shoppers. And that's why we've got uh, Maplin back on to give the retail perspective and the impact of fast delivery on customer retention and so much more. So let's welcome our guest today. First, let's welcome Ollie Marsh, who's MD at Digital First Retail, who are the owners of the Maplin brand, and who was recently on doing a, an episode um, focused on Maplin. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Thank you for having me again. Excellent. Are you well? Very well. Very well. I'm, I'm gutted you took the background picture of a USB stick. It was deeply exciting for me on a Friday morning. No, nah, we don't want to. We don't want to be monetizing your podcast. That's after <laughs> you to do. Yeah, I did say I'd have to charge a media fee for that. <laughs> um, me um, and a warm welcome to Matt Barry, who's the founder at Fast Delivery Platform and Service Provider Quiver. How are you, Matt? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be oh. here. Yeah, really looking forward to it. So um, before we start asking you the annoying questions, can you give us the Quiver Elevator pitch for those who've not come across the business? So what is it and why is it needed in the market? Yeah, Quiver is a very simple API or or extension, um, depending on what platform you're using, um, that provides more uh, faster, emissionless, and more customer-centric delivery options at the point of checkout. So much like you might offer multiple different ways of paying for products, um, we're offering uh, multiple different ways of, of delivering it that your customers can select from. Great. Um, I'll ask the first question. So, and this is to you, Matt. What are um, what are some of the big trends you're seeing in shipping at the moment? And I know you've got a big background around kind of shipping and fulfillment. Um, and how does this change across different countries? I think the, the the primary trend that we're seeing is is sort of a hub and spoke method of fulfillment that companies that, that we work with uh, still continue to sort of invest in a, a central fulfillment hub, perhaps through three PLs or, or, or moving away from actually owning it themselves into into working with three PLs and sort of um, uh, and sort of cloud based fulfillment services like Linker, like Habu, um, that can sort of do it on their behalf. Um, and then there's a real focus on on spokes, sort of how can we use the infrastructure that we already have within urban areas to to provide sort of fulfillment from store returns back into store how can we provide a sort of a more responsive um, and, and, and faster delivery service to our customers within those urban areas um, and, and that's a key part of sort of, sort of what we're trying to, to help provide great um, and then Ollie, what are some of the main kind of issues that you've seen around shipping and also I know you've done a lot um, with some of these kind of instant or faster delivery message, uh, methods um, how has that how have those performed for Maplin? Yeah, so I think the longer term trend has obviously been better, faster, cleaner delivery. So most retailers, you know, obviously have to stick quite closely with Amazon, follow, you know, as they get prime and they get one to two day shipping, we've got to to be able to match that. 
So I think a lot of the work that e-commerce players have been doing up to now have been just matching that. However, I think a big trend for us over the last sort of 12 to six, six to 12 months, I would say, is faster and faster and faster delivery. Um, I think we know that people are willing to pay for convenience, you know, particularly in cities. People just want the stuff now um, and what it brought to them. Um, so we've basically been focusing on that. Um, as you mentioned, we have been working with um, an instant delivery app um, that has raised a lot of money and has grown incredibly fast, which is called Gorillas. Um, we've owned that technology category, which has been amazing. Um, we've really tackled the essentials on that range. Um, so cables, batteries, things that people need in an emergency. Uh, even, to be honest, HDMI cables, um, Ethernet adapters, things you might need if you've gone to an office and you've got those types of things. So that's worked really well. So that's then, you know, talking to someone like Matt, um, I wanted to build on that and go, how can I expand that range? What are the more products that people need quicker? Is it keyboard and mice? Uh, is it a monitor? Is it, I don't know, that this is still an open question around how much further it goes from the essentials um, to, well, if everything's available at your fingertip, why not? Um, so that, that's something that we've been really focused on, particularly because we don't have stores. So a lot of the retailers like Curry's, who are obviously in our sphere, um, are able to leverage their stores in order to be able to provide that. Maybe the customer goes and picks it up, or they've even they've even talked about and are trialing various things around players, uh, uh, you know, Bolts and Ubers and various partners out there who can do that last mile delivery for them. Um, so I think... Again, everyone's sort of playing in this space. I think faster is most likely going to be better, um, but we don't have that infrastructure of stores. So therefore, you know, we're looking very much to the market now and going, okay, a Gorillas is a is actually just a retailer themselves. So we're selling to them on wholesale. But is there a way for us also to be able to leverage existing infrastructure in a three PL fashion or whatever it is that we can now choose the selection that goes in there and then grow that and then ultimately, you know, get things available to people in as quick as possible. See, I love this because years ago, the Mighty Boost had predicted this fast delivery because they had ninjas delivering uh, fashion magazines to um, the character whilst he's driving along the road. So, uh, you know, they were obviously well ahead of the game on that. Um, I've got a, I've got a sub-question um, actually for you, Ollie, um, on that is, do you, are you seeing, because I've talked to a lot of people about the, the lessening impact of free delivery. It used to go back a few years, everything's about you've got to have free delivery, you've got to have free delivery. feels now that free delivery isn't as important a driver of decision-making and checkouts as fast and convenient and also some of the green options. Would you agree or do you still think free delivery is, is a critical capability? I, I think you have to offer it. So our free delivery policy is free delivery over £1.99. Uh, no, £20 and it's £1.99. Sorry. So really our AOV is around £100. The vast majority of our, our orders are free. Um, to be honest, I think actually it's as much about a simplicity of the messaging for the customer so that when they go on a product page, it's £150 and that's what they're paying. That That's very much for us in terms of because we've got that higher AOV. I think in maybe in, in other retailers with cheaper products, it may be a bit different. But fundamentally, consumers are paying for the delivery. They're just getting it part of the price of the product. Um, so... I think the short answer is yes, I think you do still need it. But is it like, are people going to retailers specifically because of their free delivery policy? No, because I think everyone has it. 
but I don't think you can be the first to drop out. And I, I think everyone's commercials are built around free delivery at this point. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, I think that's it. It's just that it's not has doesn't have as much impact, and actually, it's the it's the breadth of offering, like you both uh, alluded to. So, Matt, let's turn to to, to Quivers. Your focus, um, we were talking about this before on email, is around customer centricity, and, and the USP on your site is about customers can receive the order within one hour. So, I'd love you to be able to explain what does customer centricity mean in the context of shipping, and how are you achieving such fast delivery times? Yeah, I think. Um... I think it's it's a rare experience for somebody to, to sort of have uh, a, a delightful sort of experience of, of delivery or fulfillment of their items from from e-commerce companies and, uh, or, or sort of from from un- purchasing online and and a lot of that is is through a lack of communication, um, a lack of transparency as to sort of where your items are at any given time when they're going to arrive, um, any rules that, that are in place around whether they should be sort of delivered to the person, delivered to a neighbour, left outside. Um, whatever it might be. Um, and we see lots of memes and TikToks and, and sort of funny videos of, of sort of delivery drivers sort of throwing parcels over over fences and, um, and doing all sorts of sort of potentially egregious things with them. That's sort of what uh, I think most customers have sort of come to expect from delivery. And that's something that we don't think is, uh, is, is quite right. And so what we mean by sort of customer centricity is, is, is is providing a, a sort of a transparent two-way sort of communications platform on which customers can inform us when they want their delivery to be made. They can select a sort of a 15-minute to four-hour delivery window, whether that's sort of 9 to 9.15 tomorrow or 11.30 to 12 tonight in the evening. Um, they're able to tell us when they want their delivery to be made and, and, and we'll be there. Um, they see where our, our courier is um, throughout that process. Um, they get the sort of the, the GPS tracking too to, to sort of, if, if, if we've made a, a mistake and it's we've, we've gone down the road a little bit too far, they're able to communicate with our courier, our driver, uh, to be able to sort of uh, inform them that, that, that they've, they've gone a little bit wrong. So I think really it's, it's about that. Um, for us, it's uh, it, it's providing all of the delivery options that a customer might, might want to select and then enabling them to sort of seamlessly in a couple of clicks be able to change them if they if they need to as well um so that that's sort of uh, the, the core of what we do around sort of the, the customer centricity of our delivery options and and i think for us as well we, we don't seek to re- replace the sort of the standard two to three day sort of free delivery um that, that a lot of merchants like to offer what we just aim to do is to provide sort of better more precise more accurate delivery options that a customer can select from if they so choose so one for you, uh, another one for you, Matt. Um, so technically, how are you actually kind of fulfilling the orders? Like, are you working with different carriers? Like, what methods are you using to actually um, get the product to the customer? Yeah, so, so we're fully vertically integrated. So we uh, have full and part-time couriers. We own the vehicles. They're fully insured. We have sort of um, strong transit and freight insurance policies. So, so everything is owned and run by us. Um, we we don't really work with independent contractors. We can occasionally work with some 3PLs and we will probably seek to do so a little bit more into the future. Um, but, but it's very much something that's, that's owned by us from the, the technology and the integration um, all the way to the, the courier that's sort of arriving at a customer's door. Um, that whole that whole process there, the sort of physical connectivity um, is, is is owned and run by Quiver. So, so there's a lot of sort of different competencies there that we've been sort of building out over the last year, year and a bit. If I could just add on that, point um i think one of and i did allude to this a minute ago like the big asset that's valuable to me is the micro fulfillment centers so i as i said don't have stores so therefore me putting that stock close to a customer is impossible um so i need these micro fulfillment centers because a typical 3pl again is still going to that centralized 
big fulfillment center, big warehouse in the middle of the country. But that, you know, that's no good to me. I've got that. It's that micro fulfillment centers that are hopefully going to be in, you know, every major urban area. Um, I think there's a good question. I think Matt could maybe comment on is what, what do we think the feasibility are of having the fulfillment centers in non-urban areas, um, in suburbs, in the middle of nowhere? Like, how's that going to work? Um, but for me, I think, you know, checking the box on all the major cities is, is obviously a key. Um, on my product pages and in my delivery options, I want it to just be available if the part, if the postcode is within the region. If it's not, it just hides away and it doesn't tell the customer. Um, but Matt, what do you think about outside of the cities? Yeah, I think it, it's tricky because you, you obviously don't have the sort of the, the density that the one might want. And so the um, whilst the costs of, of having a fulfillment center outside of a city are, are likely cheaper, you don't benefit from being able to sort of batch deliveries um, as close together. Um, you don't have the benefits of the um, volume of orders that you might have within a city. Um, and so I think it's, it's just a slightly different proposition um, that would be more costly. So it would be really then dependent on would the merchant, would the customers be able to sort of stomach uh, an additional sort of three or four pounds potentially per delivery um, to be able to sort of um, access some of those faster um, more responsive sort of delivery options sort of outside of a city. Um, and we'll wait and see. Maybe that is something that over the next sort of five, 10 years begins to happen. Well, we have, uh, with Gorillas, I have seen, you know, they're already working in Cambridge, um, Nottingham, Southampton, Bristol. So, I mean, uh, I mean, these are- Are you cities. defining those as out the, out the way places? No, no, they're, they're, they're <laughs> certainly cities, right? But they are in terms of, say, a Cambridge. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the population size is, but to run an MFC, you know, that that's still, you need to have that level of density. I'm curious as to what's going to be that tipping point between, yeah. I assume a Cambridge is going to be as small as it gets. Maybe it's not. Yeah, that 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 just that question, that point about um passing the cost on it, I think this comes back to transparency, isn't it? And I guess somebody's somebody's got to take the leap of faith from a retail point of view to say, hey, we're willing to 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 offer higher cost charges to customers because we identified the demand, they want it quicker and there's enough people in those areas. So I guess it's the two working together because no one wants to open a fulfillment centre if the retail demand isn't there to service it. Right, yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. Um, one of the one of the good things that we were able to do is uh, is we see a lot of all, all of that data that comes through the transaction sort of patterns and, and where the customers are the, the sort of um, the average order value of different customers and we were able to see that from our merchants across across everywhere that they they sort of um, uh, provide sort of delivery to so it, we don't just see sort of the, the data in in London in the areas that we currently operate we, we sort of see it everywhere and so that provides us with a, a lot of really interesting data that, that helps us to be able to sort of prioritize and, and work with some of those merchants um, and clients that we have to sort of help them to, to sort of look and sift through some of that data and, and to prioritize which new markets should we potentially expand this offering into next. Um, on our side, that's, that's likely to be Paris. Um, so it's likely to be international before before we expand domestically. Um, but but that's just based on the, the sort of nature of the, the merchants and clients that we're working with at the moment. Um, and. You, you talk about kind of, uh, yeah, maybe going to Paris pre-expanding domestically. Are you just London at the moment or do you operate in other cities? We are just in London at the moment, yeah. So a seven-mile radius from from our, our primary performance centre, typically in, uh, which is in sort of close by Waterloo. So we go sort of as far north as, as Tottenham, out east to sort of Greenwich, Stratford, down south to Croydon and, and out west all the way to sort of, um, sort of Putney, Barnes, Hammersmith. 
I think it's going to be quite interesting for us once we start using this type of service is will our product mix change depending on location? So for example, you know, we sell a lot of gaming products. Maybe that will be more city focused. And then some of your other, I don't know, extremely long CCTV kit cables might be useful in the, out in the sticks. Um, and then it becomes a question of, well, how do you allocate the stock to the different location? Do you do different balancing? Do you have a way of then auto-balancing within the network? Yeah, and I think that's something that we're, we're beginning to see already. We see that, that certain products are, uh, have, have sort of um, a greater propensity for to be purchased in, in say, Battersea, Clapham, and southwest London than, than there are sort of in, in, in north London. So we're starting to see sort of a, a delta there between product types, order values, um, and delivery types that select too. We're seeing that amongst different demographics, immediate delivery is is, is more popular and, and potentially sort of amongst slightly older demographics, the idea of a delivery window where you sort of select and choose when you want it to come is, is slightly more popular. So we're starting to see sort of um, discrepancies, as I say, sort of between different types of customer, different types of product, different types of sort of order value um, and, and different types of delivery um, across London, which really then influences the nature of our fulfillment centres. Do we need sort of different types of fulfillment centres in different types of London to be able to serve the, the sort of local populations a little bit better um, or more appropriately? Um, so, yeah, we're, we're still in that sort of phase of, of, of seeing a lot of that data and, and sort of understanding sort of how to work through it with our sort of merchant client partners. Um, but, but in sort of six months time or so, I think we'll, we'll, we'll have enough and it'll be quite interesting to be able to, to publish quite an interesting report on, on sort of what we've seen um, so far across London. Excellent. And I think a question some people have uh, if they're online only businesses is, OK, well, I've got stock in my warehouse and you're currently doing a seven mile radius. How does my stock get to you? So do you do retailers have to send the stock for you to, to, to hold in your DC? Do you pick up from them? How does it how does it work operationally? So typically they they they'll send it out to us. Um, we can be flexible, we can go and collect um if if required, but uh but yeah, typically they they send out stock to us. Um and when we first start working with a a, a new client, we typically don't have a great picture together as to which items are going to be sort of the, the the ones that customers want to select faster delivery options for. Um, and so the sort of first sort of two, three weeks are, are sort of a, a learning process for, for both of us where we sort of typically get that inventory mix a little bit wrong. Um, and so we then sort of uh, have a process of, of rebalancing and really sort of focusing the, the percentage of SKUs that they sort of provide us with um, so that it really fits what their customers want um to receive quickly and, and that also changes with seasonality too so we're starting to see that we've only been operational for, for about a year now so we've, we've sort of now gone through the, the phase of different seasons we're starting to see some of that, that, that information as to what customers want at different times of the year um and, and how do they want uh, that to be delivered so yeah lots of interesting learnings and um yeah lots of uh of interesting data that we're able to provide back to the merchants and the clients that we're working with um that is now helping actually those that are worse were sort of pure play e-commerce who are potentially now looking at opening up stores or, or having some sort of um physical presence um it's now really helping them to decide what sort of inventory do we want to put in in those stores or or, or, or via partners in in sort of physical locations um so it's sort of having a um a, a sort of a broader effect than, than than just um sort of looking at what what might be suitable for faster delivery and, and ollie from your point of view when you're working with with like the, these fast delivery networks are you but in your erp or your back end creating separate stock holdings allocations there or are you is it just drawing enough stock from the main stock holding 
I think that would be a question that operations people would have on their minds straight away. Yeah. So, um, so in on our end, there's two models. So there's the gorillas model, or you know, name any other app out there. They're buying the inventory. So actually, ultimately, they're selecting a number of SKUs and I'm selling it to them wholesale. Okay. Um, that obviously gives us less control around what the range is, what the price points are. Um, but you know, it's been a very close partnership up to now. But fundamentally, they are the merchant of record. In that case, operationally, I'm sending a single order of stock that they're placing, that you know, they're choosing the quantities uh, once a week to every individual depot. So in the case of, I won't give the exact numbers, but you know, we're we're coming close to 50 depots uh, under some of these apps. So it, it's a lot of small orders, uh, but actually operationally for us, it works. Um, we do it once a week, we top them up, and they're good to go. When it comes to the model of Quiver, um, who we'll, we'll start working with, we're not working with just yet, but we're working through that integration, is that's still our owned inventory in their network. So for us, yeah, we'll do exactly that. We'll have a different location. Um, we will know how much stock is in each different location. And then, you know, uh, the platform is going to tell us what the recommended amount we should put in. We'll probably have a minimum level, two or three units of everything that we're putting in the network. And then we'll ship that out to each individual location. But yeah, fundamentally, because we still own the stock, I will still be tracking it. So therefore, when it comes to checkout, if you've ordered a HDMI cable, it is going to be doing a live check against the, the Quiver API to say, in that specific location, is there enough stock to fulfill this order? Yeah. If there's not, it won't give them the delivery option at all. And it would just go through the standard, uh, you know, UPS Yodel uh, courier networks coming from our central distribution center. What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule, and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. Great. And um, question for you, Matt. So what, like, what kind of businesses are you working with at the moment? Are there any kind of clients you can talk to us about? And also, what are some of the kind of verticals or product types that work particularly well for you? Yeah, that, that's been an interesting one for us to, to sort of work out um, over the, the last year. Um, we're working with a, a couple of different apparel brands um, and and the propensity of their customers to sort of select our delivery options versus their um, the sort of the, the standard delivery options has, has actually been super high, much higher than we would have expected it, it to be. Um, so Desmond and Dempsey uh, provide sort of luxury nightwear um, is, is one of the, the brands that we've been working with for, for about sort of eight months now. And, uh, and things have been really, really strong with them. We're also working with cosmetics brands. Um, again, the propensity of customers to sort of select our delivery options um, has been super high, almost sort of more than sort of 75% of, of the customers when they're sort of provided with one, our delivery options or, or, or a standard delivery options, they're choosing us, um, which is great to see. Um, so Cosmetics has been has been really strong too. Bybee is a, a company there that we've been working with um, for a period of time now, and uh, we've been able to grow quite successfully together. Um, 
So in terms of the verticals, uh, we're also sort of now going to be working with a few different electronics brands. We've been working with a company called Charging Angels who provides sort of fast delivery of chargers across to, and, and adapters to, to companies and, and people across London. Um, we've also been working with, with medical testing uh, facilities and, and kits, um, pharmaceuticals too, people who want to sort of receive their um, prescriptions faster. They need certain sort of creams or, or, or solutions quickly. Um, we're able to sort of uh, work with brands and retailers to sort of provide that 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 is to so sort of when the, the customer wants it to be delivered, and I think sort of expanding on that is just one thing that I perhaps should have um, made a little bit clearer earlier. The sort of gorillas or, or, or sort of Q commerce um, industry is, is one where they sort of own those products and they own the, the relationship with the customer. What we're really trying to do is is not intermediate that intermediate that relationship between a, a brand like Maplin and the customer. What we're trying to do is support the brands and the merchants to continue to sort of own the relationship with their customers and we're just simply trying to provide sort of that, that faster um, sort of delivery network to, to enable them to provide a, a sort of a service level that's similar to Amazon or Gorillas um, to their customers. So um, yeah, hopefully that gives a bit of a flavor for, for what we've been looking at so far. I think that analogous relationship is actually like buy now, pay later. So we work with a number of partners, Kalana, Layby, OpenPay, and they have that, they have a relationship with the customer, yet they are also a partner of ours. So all, all of our brands are, are up there and in the mix. And I, I think from, from Matt, what Matt's told me before, that's a similar positioning to where they're seeing it. That makes sense. And are there any, um, I guess, products that are a bad fit or any, like, uh, obviously massive products, I'd imagine. But um, uh, aside from those, are there any kind of products that you maybe don't work as well with? Um, it's been interesting. There, there isn't sort of a specific product type yet. I think where we've seen that, as I said, the propensity from a customer to select our delivery options versus the standard delivery options be lower than we would want it to be, that's really been much more sort of demographic-centered and, and also average order value centered too, where the order value is sort of too low to justify paying between sort of three and five pounds, which is typically what it costs for a customer for one of our delivery options, um, then, then the propensity sort of drops off. So it's much more around, as I say, the, the sort of average order value um, and the, the sort of customer demographics that, 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 um, that are sort of actually sort of purchasing some of these items. Um, in terms of sort of bulkiness or, or, or the, the dimensions of items and the weight of items that we, we deliver, we use a range of different delivery vehicles from electric bikes to electric vans and, and everything in between um so we sort of have the flexibility there to be able to deliver a wide range of, of different sort of weights and, and dimensions um so we'll, we'll also be expanding to sort of have a, a sort of a, a more of a sort of white glove service um over the next few months to looking at uh, extremely bulky things fridges mattresses um things like that the, the customers still want quite quickly and they want it sort of within a, a precise delivery window potentially um that they're not able to get at the moment um it doesn't currently fit within the vehicle selection that we, we currently have but, uh, but yeah that's to come soon i think from, from my side paul on that question is i think that's a big open question for us is like what what do people really need and what are people what what are those volumes going to be? Because for us to just put everything in that network is not going to make sense. We, we sell some really heavy lithium, you know, camping style battery packs. And then we do bigger things like monitors. You know, there's a lot of concerns there around, will it break? Um, is it hazardous? Is it bulky? Is it heavy? So I think the big open question I have around this whole theme of, of this style of delivery is, where is that tipping point going to be? Um, and how do I find that out as quickly as possible? Because I don't think it's going to work for everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's um, a really interesting one. And uh, yeah, I like the idea of, doing, yeah, being able to do it with some of those bigger products. Um, in terms of like working with bigger businesses, some of the stuff that we've talked about is is going to be harder for them to adopt from an operational perspective. It would take longer. Um, can you talk us through kind of your typical onboarding process um, and what it might look like for some of these businesses? Yeah, so if they're a, sort of a Shopify, Magento, WooCommerce um, merchant and they're, they're on those platforms, then sort of integration is typically quite quick and simple. We, we sort of have extensions and plugins there and, and, and we can sort of guide. If it's Shopify, then it takes five minutes. If it's sort of Magento, WooCommerce, then it might take a couple of days, but but it's typically pretty quick. For sort of clients of ours that, that are on sort of um, slightly older um, sort of products or, or they've sort of got their own sort of custom way of putting things together, um, then... We we sort of have a, a sort of an API that we're able to extend, but really what we try to do is is to have some sort of uh, a couple of different sort of technical discovery conversations with them to sort of understand really how everything is sort of structured together on their end, um, what they're using potentially sort of a, a headless CMS, and and then often sort of a NetSuite or, or an ERP system in the middle, as some sort of middleware with with all sorts of different layers in between. So what we try to do is get a good picture of that, and then we typically tweak our API and integration points to really fit with what they've created. So. Urban Outfits is a good example of this, where they're sort of running a, a mid-2000s version of sort of IBM WebSphere as, as the key sort of um, commerce engine. Um, not necessarily the easiest place to sort of integrate with, but we've sort of found a way over the last sort of couple of weeks to, to, to sort of create integration points that, that we think will work. Um, and we're currently going through a process of, of making that happen. So what we're really trying to do there is instead of sort of extending a, a sort of a, a standard API, and, and sort of handing it over to their sort of products or tech teams and sort of saying, good luck, get on with it. Um, we're really trying to sort of take more of a sort of deployment style integration approach where we we work together as sort of partners. Then we try to sort of condense the, the timeline towards integration um, to sort of be seven to sort of, sort of 14 days. And then, then we help them to sort of test and QA it properly afterwards um, with the intention so, so that sort of once commercials are signed to, to be able to go live within sort of um, yeah, 14, 21 days. I've got a question on because one of the models you've got is collect from store. Um, and in store, like collection is is always a fun um, uh, process if people haven't done it before because they might not have space for, for storing orders. They might not have a clear process for, for having them ready for a courier to pick up. How, like, what, what is the, what's the onboarding process in that model to, to make sure that you know, the retailer can actually satisfy the order so that your couriers can pick them up and get them delivered on time within in the SLA. Yeah. So we provide all of the technology to sort of make that happen. And you're right that there's uh, not always a standard way that, that some of the merchants we work with want to operate that or, or have this sort of ability to do so. So um, I think fundamentally, sort of going back to one of the things that we've learned over the last year, especially sort of coming out of the pandemic, where a, a lot of stores were, were sort of expensive cost centers and, and weren't necessarily adding too much value. Um, there's been a real focus from, from a lot of the, the partners that we speak to, merchants um, and, and clients that we were working with, um, to, to sort of extract as much value out of their real estate footprint as they possibly can. And so that means sort of ex- increasing and enhancing the sort of experience that they're able to offer to, to their customers. But it also means how else can we use this, these sort of physical assets that we have? How can we use them for sort of faster fulfillment for uh, to enable sort of faster exchanges um, at the point at the sort of the doorstep how can we sort of provide sort of a try before you buy service how can we then also have sort of much faster returns back into store so we can process it back into in our inventory and and have it sort of um have it sort of available to our cost our other customers um sort of much faster 
so sort of with that sort of renewed focus, I would say on 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 sort of an, uh, a very omni-channel view of, of of what can we do with these um, yeah retail locations. Um, that's sort of where, where we've been able to come in and and, and support them to be able to um, enable that inventory within their stores to, to be sort of offered via their sort of e-commerce platforms too. The key sort of difficulty there has been a sort of a, a, a real-time sort of inventory. Uh, count and, and sort of understanding um, and a lot of brands that we work with don't necessarily always have a, a real-time view as to the amount of sort of inventory that they have within their stores a, a lot of time that's sort of reconciled sort of on a, a daily or, or, or even longer sort of um, sort of interval um, and so for us that's really important we don't want to be offering a delivery uh, option to, to customers online when a, a store doesn't have that, that item in stock um, and so for that that's been a sort of a major challenge. We've, we've been able to sort of build internal libraries and sort of predictive software where we don't have sort of a, an automated sort of live view of inventory to be able to sort of extrapolate and, and predict what that inventory count's going to be. And that's getting better and better over time, which has been, has been great. Um, in terms of sort of how we communicate with retail staff that an order's come through um, and that they need to sort of package items together and get it ready for us for an, one of our careers for a certain time. That's something that, again, we've, we've sort of owned the, the communication stack there. So providing them with a, a tablet or uh, some of them actually prefer sort of SMS um, a standard sort of text message to a phone and we provide all of that information to them and, and we typically have sort of a, a two to four hour onboarding session with their retail staff um, a couple of times before we before we launch um, and then after that we, we have sort of regular 30 45 day check-ins to sort of understand what could we be doing a little bit differently how can we potentially tweak our products is there it's sort of an alternative place that our couriers can arrive to collect these items um, so we're continually sort of then iterating and trying to improve the process after that but um but no it's been it's been generally pretty smooth but but every sort of merchant has sort of a different way that they sort of envisage themselves doing things and, and we're really there to sort of help them to to sort of put some of these things in place so i'm assuming then if, if a business is a bit more sophisticated with its technology integration and it has got like a, a joined up um omnichannel solution for for e-commerce and stores that you would then your api would just integrate with there so that you're not you're not basically creating a separate order management flow you just tie in with what they're already doing yeah, that's exactly it. So a screw fix uh, is a great example there of a company where their sort of omni-channel offering is, is is very strong, and they use their sort of network of stores as sort of fulfillment sort of nodes, and uh, and are able to sort of rebalance overnight very well. A lot of brands and merchants don't sort of have that capacity yet, and so we're really sort of building some of that out for them. What we're doing, we're not sort of closed um, too closed loop in terms of the products and solutions that we build there. If we if we sort of sort of are providing some of that uh, sort of estimation inventory sort of estimation um, and and, um, and 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 actually sort of integrating into their sort of order management sort of flow, um, we provide all of that infrastructure to them, so they're able to use and query that for for other sort of um, use cases that they might have within their business as well. Um, so we we sort of by building some of this technology to enable our delivery options, we're also sort of providing some solutions to them within their business that they can then utilize for, for other purposes, which has been um, uh, a really valuable um, uh, sort of, um, yeah, secondary use case um, and uh, and sort of product line to an extent for, for our business so far. Cool. Uh, and Ollie, question for you, the retailer perspective on this. So Matt's talked about the uptake of some some uh, of his clients and the percentage of orders that go on these faster delivery options. What are you seeing? Are you seeing the uptake across the board? Are you seeing it on very specific product ranges in terms of people switching to this type of delivery? So we're not live yet on our website with uh, instant delivery. However, you know, what's made me very excited and very interested in the space is working with the instant delivery apps. 
So for us, we've just seen it go nuts um, ever since basically we got started. Um, I won't give exact numbers, but you know we're doing many thousands of units uh, over the last year of some of the essentials. So we obviously don't see similar, we're not going to see the same volumes like that um, on these higher value products. But I think definitely the essentials are a no-brainer. Um, you know, consumables like AA batteries, iPhone cables, chargers, uh, HDMI cables, uh, all these kind of things that people leave at home, you know, go on holiday, um, travel. Um, so we anticipate that it's going to work. We anticipate that as soon as we switch it live, um, there's going to be a decent uptake. Uh, but really, we're building off that data that we've got around the essentials range with Gorillas. Great. Um, and then in terms of the, so this one's for Matt. So in terms of the zero emissions piece, um, this is obviously a really big area and there's a lot of people that are maybe trying to claim uh, certain things in this area. Um, how does this work? And yeah, kind of how, how does it work? I guess is probably the best way. Yeah, so we sort of quite core to, to the way that we want to, to run our business is that we only use emissionless vehicles and um, and we have renewable energy sort of charging those vehicles too. So as I said, sort of from electric bikes to electric cargo bikes, electric mopeds, um, electric cars and electric vans are sort of what we use, um, which means that the sort of delivery footprint that we, we have is, uh, is, 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 is um, has sort of produced zero um, sort of CO2 emissions, um, which is great. What we provide at the point of sale uh, or, the, or sort of when our delivery options are listed, sorry, um, is a, a calculator that provides based on where the customer's address is, how many CO2 emissions they're actually saving by selecting one of our delivery options. And we've seen um, that regardless of whether they, if some customers want it faster or, or they want that sort of um, more responsive and, and transparent sort of way of, uh, of understanding when their delivery is coming, some of them sort of upgrade to our delivery options because they know that they're sort of saving these CO2 emissions. And that's been really, really powerful. I think for some of the merchants and the clients that we work with, what we're able to do is to provide them with, a, on a per delivery basis, the CO2 emissions that they've saved by their customers selecting our delivery options. And we're also then able to provide sort of an aggregated viewer. So this is what you've saved over the last month, over the last year. Um, and this has been really, really useful for us, both from a sales perspective, but also for those companies. Um, as they sort of have more and more sort of sustainability targets, they have a, a sort of a, a responsibility to sort of report on, on their sustainability and environmental impact on, a, on an annual basis. We can feed some of that sort of real data into that, uh, into those reports and into those sort of standards that they're setting for themselves. Um, and that's not something that, that many other sort of delivery or fulfillment companies are able to provide at the moment. Great. Um, and then in terms of, so I know that I've done, uh, tried a lot of different things on some of these uh, more like deliveries and gorillas and Uber Eats and then ended up kind of repeating it or it's kind of become a normal. I've got a very bad habit of doing my food shopping pretty much every day by delivery. Um, in terms of like retention and repeat usage, have you seen a big trend around people coming back and using the service? Yeah, I think this is the the most sort of um, uh, impactful sort of metric that we've we've been able to to sort of track over time is that sort of once a customer selects our delivery one of our delivery options when they come back and, and make a purchase again um, on that website what sort of percentage did the, of those customers sort of select our delivery options again and we've seen that sort of broadly over the last nine months be be about ninety two percent so it's pretty strong um, and that then doesn't necessarily isn't as dependent on sort of product type and and that's sort of why. I, uh, didn't give a great answer earlier or a very precise answer earlier as to sort of what products are suitable. What we 
we're seeing is that once customers sort of are selecting some of our delivery options, then regardless of their the product type or the average order value of their next order, they're most likely going to use our delivery options again. Um, so, so we're starting to see um, yeah, a bit more breadth, um, I would say, to that. And, and we're now also starting to see um, where we were obviously been growing the, the number of merchants that we work with over the last year, um, customers sort of cross-pollinate there. So when they see sort of one of our fast delivery options on, on another merchant's page, then they're more likely to use those than they are uh, the sort of standard delivery options. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I guess that that's a parallel with things like fast checkouts, where when people get used to using that particular process, they quite like it and they come back and they reuse it. Um, so, Ollie, I've got I've got a final question for you. It's the big capsule one, which is any advice going through this process yourself, looking at you know faster delivery options, networks, how you do it. Uh, there's obviously a process of evaluation. Have you got any advice for other retailers listening? What are the challenges that you need to plan for around technology and process? What should they be thinking out? What questions should they be asking themselves? Yeah, I think we've been quite lucky to have quite a low risk on ramp to this space. So again, you know, because of the model of being wholesale to gorillas, we're not owning that imagery, we're just selling it to them and that they can deal with the customer acquisition. So that's given us a real good taste of that. So, I mean, ideally, if you can find a way of MVPing and getting a, an understanding of what that uptake might be, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Try that. Um, as I say, I think it still is an open question about what product's going to work for us. So that's something that I'm paying a lot of attention to. We're definitely going to try uh, different things, different areas, and then iterate based on what works and what doesn't work. Um, from an operation perspective, it's been relatively smooth for us because we we top up the different depots with just the standard uh, courier networks, so Yodel, UPS, who we're using every day. So we've not had to do anything too different there. Um, we do foresee some challenges around once things are different sizes and bigger items, how we get those packaged up, consolidated in one consignment, get them booked in. Uh, and likewise, how much stock we put there um, and where we put the stock there. But we're going to hopefully be relying on Quiver and, and similar tools in order to be able to guide us around what levels, what products uh, for top up and replenishment purposes. I think finally, from the checkout um, and various you know, integration points around your e-commerce platform, Again, you know, we use Magento, but Shopify and, and the various other key platforms are going to have their integrations. Um, I'm very excited around putting, you know, the branding on the product page. So similar to buy now, pay later. Um, that ended up being a big customer acquisition channel for us. Uh, when I first started with that lay by, like right when they entered in the UK a few years ago, uh, I just did not believe a word of <laughs> of their their shop directory is going to bring all this traffic, and but actually, you know, it's proved out that, that has worked. So I'm excited to see that happen again, where we're you know as costs are going up on Google and Facebook, how we can leverage other partners who have acquired that customer through another retailer, for example, us leverage that relationship, put the Quiver brand up there or similar services up there, and then. Someone just chooses that because what Matt said, you know, they're more likely to choose a repeat service if they've used it before. So it's not really advice. I mean, my, my view has been try, you know, don't go too all in until um, you've, you've got a bit of data to run with it. But operationally, it's been relatively smooth for us so far. I think, I think that's really sound advice. I, I find it, I think it's really interesting because 
like marketplace commerce in general has grown massively, but there's so many different types of marketplace. And this this technology-led marketplace, the likes of Klarna's are built out and, and fast and now from the delivery thing, I think it's a really interesting point you make is, is not having all your eggs in one basket from an acquisition point of view. Um, Matt, are there any, any parting comments you would want to share about any advice of, of what people need to, to factor in and consider um, before embarking on a project like this? I think one of the things that we really try to, to do is um, is to enable it to be very much a sort of a two-way door. So our integrations are, are very lightweight. They can be sort of ripped out and turned off sort of as and when you want them. If, if we're not performing to the standards of uh, the, the clients expect or, or our pricing is ridiculous, then, then then they're able to sort of deactivate and get rid of us very quickly. We don't sort of tie our, our customers down to sort of long-term contracts. There's no sort of monthly minimum or, or sort of SaaS fee to it. We're try to align our incentives so that if your customers select our delivery options, then we earn money. If they don't select our delivery options, we don't earn money. So we, we try to really sort of uh, have that incentive alignment as strong as we possibly can. And that's really helped a lot of merchants to sort of try this, um, that there's no sort of significant encumbrance around sort of trialing and, and, and using sort of um, this as sort of an integration. So um, I think that's been really, really important for us, um, especially in some of those conversations. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would just encourage um, different merchants listening to, to, to send me an email, Matt at getquiver.co.uk, um, and, uh, and, and we can potentially look to put something together. Cool. Thanks, Matt and Ollie, uh, for taking the time to share um, expertise and insight. It's been an interesting, interesting episode. I think this is this is clearly a, a part of the e-commerce market that, that's going to grow. Um, and I know a lot of, of brands I'm working with are really trying to work out how they speed up and improve delivery without having a massive logistical nightmare with their own um, uh, infrastructure. So yeah, so anyone who's listening, do feel free to reach out. And also thanks for listening. Keep an ear out for our next episode. We publish every Tuesday. And do let us know of any future topics you'd love us uh, to cover. Excellent. Enjoy the rest of your day. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.